Thank you. Uh, I got a handful of things right here uh, that I found in our lost and found. All right, and as a matter of fact, there is a bin uh, that if I sold everything in that lost and found, I'd probably make about ten thousand uh, dollars. And I just think, man, what poor stewards are we? You know, it's like this. We bought this stuff, you know, and I. And I looked at some of this stuff, and I lose my stuff too, so this isn't just about you, but right now it is about you because I'm preaching, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I look at some of this stuff, and I'm like, man, this is great. I mean, how, like, who's dehydrated? I mean, we have 70 of these in there. Like, I'm concerned with your liquid consumption. Uh, I'm thinking like, hey, this is a Yeti, okay? So I know you spent money on that. Like, I'm just concerned. Anybody missing a Yeti? Is that... <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I had a North Face jacket in the, in the 9 a.m., and I lifted it up, and a gal in the back was like, that's mine. <laughs> and I'm like, this sermon is for you, you know? <laughs> and then I'm like, and I'm like, like this, like, like how do you even walk around, you know? Like, like we have many of these, you know, in, in the lost and found. And then, like, I got real, I started getting, like, real, like, like what, what is this? <laughs> like, what? Like, this has, a, I, I know who some of these are. Their name is in it, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to call them out, but, like, you know who you are. It's like, you don't even, the word of God, like, you can't keep up with that? Like, what's, what's your deal? Okay, all right. Uh, you're going to look at a text, and I want you to open up to it in Luke 15 uh, in the brief time that we have here, because uh, the sermon is entitled Lost and Found. Uh, and when I look at our lost and found, Ben, I often, you know, ask, do people even care about their lost stuff? Or do we, like so many people do, say, eh, you know what, I can get some more later. I can get, I can get some more. I can go find some more of that. Uh, but Luke 15, on the complete other hand, says that's not how God sees his lost people. God does not look, God, I mean, you have to understand, God created everything. God created everybody. In the beginning, the heavens, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. Every, and everything in it, the, everything in the fullness thereof is God's. And, you know, God could easily say to you and me, ah, you know, I can make some more of them. I already I made, I made them. I can make some more. Right? If God had the attitude for his lost things that we often have the attitude for our lost things, we'd be in a world of trouble, wouldn't we? But Luke 15 gives us a complete other uh, viewpoint, a point of view that God diligently and, and cares for his people. In Luke 15, we're actually given three parallel parables, Okay. Uh, a parable is a, a real-life scenario that gives us eternal truths about God and about salvation. And in Luke 15, you see three of them back to back to back. They're sharing the same principle of God's care for the lost and his desire that they be found. You have three of them, and you, know, you might know them. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. You may know the third one as the prodigal son. Uh, but these are all three sharing the same point about how God cares for the wayward and the lost. And how, thankfully, God isn't like many of us who just leave our stuff in the lost and found bin. That God desires that he would find them and save them. And he also desires that we would do the same. And so as we jump into that text, I would like you to, before we look at verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10 in the parable of the lost coin, I want you to catch the context, okay? And if to catch the context, you're going to need to look at the first three verses of Luke 15. Look at that, those texts, Luke 15, 1 through 3. You need to know what's going on. Are you there? I don't hear a lot of tur pages turning. There we go. I promise I won't keep you in here much longer. 
unless I need to. <laughs> Luke 15, 1 through 3, it says this, that now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here's the context. You have Jesus teaching and Jesus fellowshipping with people, preaching the gospel. And you have a couple of parties here. You have the Pharisees and the scribes, which were these very religious people who were very concerned about the law of God and very concerned about uh, religion, but not the religion that's pleasing and acceptable to God. They were, they were focused on a self-righteous religion, that if I do all these things right, and I will find righteousness in the sight of God because of me, because I can keep the law. I can be the one who shows God that I did all these things, therefore I am righteous in and of myself. And you have these sinners and these tax collectors who recognize societally and intrinsically that they were sinners. Society told them real quick that they were sinners. They hated them. Tax collectors and sinners wanted nothing to do with them. And they knew it in their own lives that they were sinners and separated from God. But notice the ones who went in and spent time with Jesus. Self-righteous people don't want anything to do with Jesus. In Scripture, over and over again, the people who do come to Christ are those who recognize that they're in need of Jesus for the salvation of their souls. But notice, Jesus, there in verse 3, receives them. This Greek word, receives, is gladly welcomes. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, i got to sit with you today. That's a Pharisee's idea of receiving people. Like, ah, if I have to. But Jesus gl gladly welcomed them with a warm greeting. Come in here, and he then eats with them. He dines with them. I want you to notice something that Jesus does here. Uh, he isn't affirming and confirming their sin. Right? He isn't saying, everything that you are is everything that's acceptable to me. He's not. That's not at all what Jesus does. But he, he creates an opportunity for him, because he loves the lost, that's why he came, to create an opportunity for him to tell them the truth in love, the same thing that we're called to do. And these parables, all three next to each other, are Jesus teaching the Pharisees. And you might see these as just evangelistic parables, but that's not primarily what they are. They're parables that, sh that are showing the Pharisees that like, you say that you love God and you say that you obey God, but you do the very opposite of what God would do in this situation. You try to separate yourself so far away from these people because you think you're self-righteous and you think they don't deserve salvation. And Jesus says, I have come for these people. I have come for the people who are sinners. I have not come to, to, to take care of the, the, the people who aren't sick. I'm not here to take care of the righteous. I'm here to come, and I'm calling the unrighteous. I'm calling the sinner. So if you really want to know who I'm here for, I'm here for anyone, including you Pharisee, and including you scribe, who would say that you're a sinner in need of salvation. I'm here for you. And all three of these parables prove that point, that God loves to save sinners. So look at the text with me, starting in verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. Notice two points here so far. One, her love and desire for the lost coin to lead, and it leads her to action. Have you noticed that? Uh, she, had found, she had 10 coins and she loses one. All right, she says, oh, you know what? I cherish and desire that coin so much that she's not going to be like me personally that I'd say, you know, I, can, I got nine more. You know, why do I need one? I have nine. If I have to lose that one, that's fine. Well, praise the Lord that he doesn't have that view about the souls of people. And instead, she desires to find the lost coin and it leads her to action. And then secondly, I want you to notice that her love and desire to find the coin 
caused her to dedicate time and commitment to find the coin, okay? And I, I want you to notice that because you remember, parables, this isn't about no woman. We're not talking about a woman here. Can you look at me? The parable gives us eternal truths about God and salvation. This parable teaches us how God sees lost things, how God desires to see the lost saved. That's the point of the parable. And so, oh, it's nice that the gal you know, looked for the coin. No, no. It's God caring about lost souls and diligently searching and seeking them out. The whole point of this is that God loved us while we were yet sinners. And Christ died for us while we were still sinners. The whole point of this is to show us, you and me and the Pharisees and the scribes, that God is, is willing to give up his son, is willing to come to earth, is willing to stand in our place, to be associated with sinners, which you should not miss that. Jesus came, he got baptized to do what? To associate with lost humanity. He came to eat with sinners and tax collectors to do what? To associate with sinners, to say, I am coming to represent you before the holy God. Why? Because God loves to see the lost saved. And it's the very thing that the Pharisees didn't care anything about. And my concern is at Compass Bible Church that we would never have Pharisees that are either, they care less about lost people being saved or they say, you know what, somebody else can do it. It's just not my thing. Um, that's the attitude of a Pharisee. And it's the very thing that Jesus says, we don't do that here. And it's the very thing your pastor is going to say, we don't do that here. We love to see lost people saved. And that's really point number one. You need to write it this way. You need to increase your love for the lost. Increase your love for the lost. And maybe you're in here and you're like, ah, you know, but I can't, you know, they're sinners. Yes, such were some of you, right? I mean, that's literally what Paul says, isn't it? And, And if you are having a hard time working through, how can I reach lost people without indulging in lost people things? It's like, learn the Bible, and I mean that, the kindness of my heart. Learn the Bible, because you can do it, and you should do it, right? There ain't nobody who, who hates sinful things more than, than me and every other believer who's growing in their faith, right? You hate sinful things, right? I don't have to partake in sinful things to reach out to sinful people, okay? But what you do need to know is know what's going on. You have to be able to say, I'm all about this, and I'm willing to learn to talk to you in a way where you can respond to the gospel. Jesus does it all the time. As a matter of fact, he uses a parable. Why? Who hadn't lost a lot? Who has not lost a quarter in the couch if you're over 28 years old? Okay. You have. And then you're like, man, I really wish I had that quarter. Yeah, I mean, that 2,000 years ago, still, still working, isn't it? Okay. Jesus talks to them how they can understand. Now, he doesn't change the gospel. And we're never going to change the gospel, but we're going to talk to people how they can understand the gospel, just like you'll talk to your eight-year-old about the gospel in ways that they understand because you love them, right? right? You're not going to go up and say, Jesus is the propitiation for your sin, and he gives you justification through uh, penal substitutionary atonement. Do you understand? No, that's not what you're going to say, is it? Why? Because you love them. And you're thinking real hard, how do I teach my child to love the Lord? How do I teach them what salvation is? And you work, don't you? And you learn how to preach the gospel to an eight-year-old because you love them. Same thing. You're going to love people like God loves to see people saved. First Thessalonians 3.12. Jot it down. I don't have much time to talk about it, but jot it down. I just want to read it. 
Paul's telling the church in Thessalonica, may the Lord make you increase in your love for one another. Listen to this. this is of course, right? We need to love the church, right? We need to love our brothers and sisters. But he didn't stop there. He says, let the Lord increase your love for one another and for all. That's one of my favorite verses because it convicts me. I'm like, I love my church family. In, I mean, I will fight for every one of you in this church. Like, I just want somebody to say something about you, right? You know? But, like, but it says, but for all other people. I'm like, ooh, like all the others? Like all of them? You know, it's like, yeah, all others. Like, I pray that God would grow our love for each other and for all others. That we would desire when we look at a restaurant, when we, wherever we're at, we look around and say, these people are all going somewhere someday. They're all spending eternity with God or separated from God. And I got to ask, do I love them enough to tell them what's going on? Do I love them? And it convicts me every time I go out. And it's growing me to say, they got to do something. We got to do something, Right? Well, that, look at the next text. What do we do? If I'm going to grow in my love for people, what do I do? Look at, the, look at verse 8 again. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses a coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? I want you to notice her love. And remember, it's a parable, so we're talking about God here, correct? God's love for the individual shows that God is willing to do the work to repossess the coin that was lost. God's love for the lost individual has created in him a willingness and a desire to send his son to die on our behalf. And this is, this is well, God didn't want to do the work. He just sent his son. Nah, you don't understand the triune nature of God. It is God who initiates salvation. It is Jesus Christ who came down and created the means for salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit who seals for salvation. So you can't look at salvation apart from the triune work of God. It isn't just Jesus coming and doing the dirty work. It's Jesus creating the means of salvation and God enacting the means of salvation through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a triune work. And that God says, I want to see lost people saved. I don't desire that none shall perish, but that all come to eternal life. Well, then we understand, though, people are going to perish, aren't they? People are going to die. People are going to go to hell for eternity. Now, well, if God really loved, then why, does it, why doesn't God just send everyone to heaven? This, right, this is the justice, right? This is why we say that God's nature, who he is, he's a just God. God cannot let sin go undealt with. He cannot. He couldn't be a just God, just like you could never live in a country that didn't have a just judicial system. As a matter of fact, this is why there's so much legislation throughout the history of America that people get fed up with and people want to change because they're like, we just want it to be more just. Well, you can't find any more just system than God the Father in eternity. And God the Father says there is no way. All sin must be dealt with. Actually, Scripture says that God will by no means clear the guilty, but he's also willing to forgive the sinner. Those aren't mutually exclusive, are they? No, he loves and he's willing to do the work to justify. Now, I want you to follow me here. He's willing to do the work to justify. If God loves, he's going to be willing to get his hands dirty. That's point number two. I want you to at least write it down as we continue talking. God's willing to get his hands dirty, and you should be willing to get your hands dirty. But God is willing to get his hands dirty by saying, I'm a just God. I can't let sin go unpunished, but I'm going to make a way where sin will be punished, justice will be served, and that all those who will place their trust in the punishment that I gave to God the Son, they would be appeased. Their sin would be dealt with. They would be counted righteous before God. That's, that's great, isn't it? Justice was served. Love and forgiveness was given. Did you see that? Both of them 
happened full capacity. Full justice was served. Full love and inclusion to those who turn from their sin and place your trust in Christ is given. Why? Because God got his hands dirty. He did. Christ came to the earth. He lived like you and me. He ate with sinners. He carried our cross. He bled and he died and was abused and had the greatest humanitarian crisis ever in the history of ever is that God the Son took your place and died an unjust death that it would be counted just for those of us who are in Christ. Okay, he got his hands dirty. And, and what Jesus is saying in this parable, go do likewise. You know what the Pharisees weren't willing to do? They weren't willing to do anything, have anything to do with sinners. They weren't willing to have anything to do with bringing them into the kingdom of God. I'm not giving you a license as your pastor to tell you to go to all the bars and sit up there for the next you know, 15 hours a day just to go, you know, to go do what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Okay? What I'm saying is you can create plenty of opportunities to get your hands dirty to share the gospel with people who need it. And you've got to be willing to do that. And Jesus says the Pharisees are not willing to do it. But people who love God and want to be like Christ are going to do it. You need to get your hands dirty. So much more to say. I want you to jot down another verse I want you to look at later. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. It's actually a great verse that shows you what the Apostle Paul was willing to go through for the sake of the lost and for the sake of the churches that he was, uh, that he was helping mature and grow. Uh, and when you read it, I don't want you to think, wow, what a prideful, arrogant person Paul was, because Paul's doing something specific in 2 Corinthians. Uh, there are these people who are called super apostles who come and they were trying to say that Paul's ministry was not valid uh, and that theirs is, and they're trying to extort things from the church in Corinth, like money and possessions, uh, to basically uh, say, hey, no, we're the real apostles. See, we're requiring things from you. Why would, a, why would a, you know, if, he's, if Paul's a real apostle, why didn't he make you pay him? You ever thought about that? He didn't think his time was worth it, okay? All of those kind of things. Paul says, by no means, that is absolutely not right. Uh, here's what I was willing to go through. Here's the cost of loving you, and this is what Paul wrote, and I'll have you go look at it later. Uh, you'll go through it in your life group application questions, but worth noting and worth going to look at as far as what Paul was willing to do to get his hands dirty. You and I, on the, on the same token, no pun intended, right, need to recognize that we have to get our hands dirty if we're going to be like Christ. If you say, I want to be like Christ, I want to I do the will of God, I just wonder what the will of God is. The will of God is that you, just like the parable of the woman, would light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until you find it. Like, you know there's lost people in your family. I know there's, there's lost people in my family. Lost people in your neighborhood, lost people at your job, lost people at your school, lost people everywhere. You can't go anywhere without finding lost people. And you're going to get your hands dirty and start talking to them and meeting with them. Uh, we, I use uh, ICE. That's an acronym that I use uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. And I, I uh, didn't even have this in my notes, but it's a great way for you to say, how do I start doing that? Uh, this is the way that I've led more people to Jesus Christ uh, than any other way that I can think of. Uh, and I didn't come up with this and then do it. It's just as I started thinking about what do I do to reach lost people? And I started thinking, well, I see E, right? I invite people to church. I do. I invite them. There's no easy way to get them to talk about spiritual things than making them volitionally come and sit and listen to the pastor talk about the gospel, right? That's low bar stuff, isn't it? But when I invite them, even as a pastor, I invite them. Afterwards, I connect with them. See, I invite, I connect with them. 
What did you think about that sermon? Are you free for lunch today? I'd love to go talk about it. Did you see what has happened there? I mean, this is just like, this is a smooth stuff here, isn't it? Right? <laughs> I'd love to buy you some lunch. Okay, talk about eternity, talk about heaven and hell. Uh, I want to connect with them. Right? I just don't want to say, oh, I invited them to church, now they're good. Right? No, 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 you need to connect with them. They're your responsibility. You need to connect with them and talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you E, engage, right? You can connect with people, right? You can say, ah, oh, hey, what's going on out in the lobby afterwards? But if you don't like sit and create an opportunity to engage, sit down with them, have a cup of coffee, uh, set up a follow-up meeting, uh, that is where I have led so many people to Christ. Rarely ever have I walked up to somebody on the street. It's happened, but very rarely, uh, and led them to Christ. It just doesn't happen often. But when I'm able to connect with them and then set up a follow-up to engage with them to talk about life, usually it's like a counseling session. Hey, I'd like to talk to you, but let's talk about marriage. Well, I'll tell you what, I, can't, I don't love my wife. Well, the, Ephesians 5, what does that say? Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? No, I don't. Uh, well, do you have the love of Christ in you? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you the gospel. Did you see how quick that was? Okay, That's how it works when you invite people, connect with people, and engage with people. That's all the time I have for that one, but I hope you can take that with you. Uh, I hope you can take that with you, all right? Uh, final two verses. All right, we're going to get our hands dirty, um, and then there's something going to happen after that. Right? This, is the, this is just as much a job in the church as making disciples, because this is a part of making disciples. When she found the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. I mean, this, like, I understand in this way, me and God are like not a lot alike, okay? Because if, if God were like me, thank God he's not, right? That'd be a problem. Uh, I'm those kind of person that I'm like, I found the coin. All right, what's next on the list? Like, I got 20 other things to do today. Let's get going, okay? But that's not what, what God would do, is it? As a matter of fact, it says this, that when the, when the gal had found her coin, she goes and gathers all of her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. She threw a party. She threw a party. I'm like, it probably cost more to throw that party than that coin was worth, right? Which is like, think about that. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, the gospel doesn't make financial sense, does it? I mean, really, right? I mean, you sacrificing your own finances for, to give to the church that we could do gospel ministry together doesn't make a lot of financial sense in your, own, in your own bank account, does it? In your own financial planning, doesn't make a lot of sense. But it does if you love people like God loves people. Because she was willing to spend more money to celebrate what God had done than she actually had in the coin's value itself. I don't want like, to extrapolate too far from there, but I want you to clearly understand something. That it wasn't the value of the coin it was the fact that it was lost and she loved it. And that should actually make you convicted about the, God's, the way God values people. She valued that coin enough to look for it diligently and when she found it to celebrate it. You may not think people are worth much at all, but that wouldn't be God's valuation of people. God has made people in his image, and that image is valuable. And so we ask, well, what's redeemable in you? What's redeemable in me? What's redeemable in, in the world? Well, nothing is redeemable in and of yourself. But the image that you bear is redeemable. You understand that? The image that you bear is the image of God. And it is broken. It is shattered. It is oftentimes very in, hardly distinguishable from that which it was meant to be, which is a glorifying picture of who God is. But there is enough intrinsic value in the human being because they are made in the image of God, that there is nothing which God was not even willing to spare, even his own son, that that image would be redeemed and reconciled and made new in Jesus Christ. You've got to get your hands dirty. 
But we also need to celebrate salvation. And that's point number three. You need to celebrate salvation because I want you to notice, she said, I'm, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to call you over. I mean, it's a coin for crying out loud. But they're going to celebrate. And so many of us, let's just keep reading in verse 10 before I get there. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God in heaven over one sinner who repents. Do you notice that? Heaven takes the time to celebrate when a sinner repents. That's a big deal. I mean, you think of this, you think of this, right? Here's heaven, here's here. How many things do you do on a regular basis where heaven takes time and being attentive to what's going on? Not a lot. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Don't, let's, let's be honest. There's not a lot of things you're doing on a day-to-day basis where heaven stops and takes notice. But every time you lead somebody to Jesus Christ, every time somebody turns from their sins and places their trust in Christ, heaven rejoices. The angels, the hosts of heaven, all of it rejoice because God's family has growing and has been added to. Think about that. Now, you got that in your mind? Okay, here's what concerns me so much. And it's not just here. I got a life group here. Love you so much. Uh, But the life groups I've been a part of in my whole life, sometimes in our life groups, we are more excited when somebody gets a job promotion, when somebody gets engaged to get married, right? When somebody has some special achievement. I mean, you walk around and it erupts, and you would have thought that somebody won the lottery, which we'd have a question about the lottery, but whatever. All right, we're clapping, we're clapping. And then somebody would say, you know what? Uh, I just, my, my friend just got led to Jesus Christ today. And in the corner, you hear this person going, woo, and you're like, people are like, what's wrong with that person? Why are they clapping like that? But that person gets it, right? And just like the gal gets it here, and just like God wants us to get it, the Pharisees don't want to celebrate about this stuff. The Pharisees don't want to say, well, you got to be as good as us to get celebrated. You, got, you can't just turn from your sins and place your trust in the Christ. you got to do all this other stuff, right? No, no, no. We're going to celebrate because one sinner repents, and they recognize it is no work of their own. They're not justified by any means other than the fact that they responded to the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. And when they do, we're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate. I want our church to be a celebrating church, not because it's my desire, because that's God's desire. I am grateful that God has given baptism as God's built-in system for celebrating salvation. I love this. This is God's built-in way for all, throughout all history until he comes back for people to celebrate what God is doing. But here's something else I want to challenge you to do this. Any of you that had a life group member get baptized, I hope you have a party in the life group this next week. Why? Because heaven rejoices when they repented. We should rejoice when they follow through in baptism as a sign of the seal of salvation they had because they turned from their sin and placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not saying make it about them. You're making it about Jesus Christ that he saves the lost. And they are just the current example of God's continuing work in our church and in our city and in our world for the advancement of the gospel. You need to celebrate salvation. Much more to say, but I'm out of time. Um, but I want, you, I want you to look at that text, and I want you to recognize that it is, it's evangelistic. Of course it is. But I want you to recognize that Jesus brought these parables up to show a point that you Pharisees, you don't, you, you're not acting like Christ. You're not living for the will of God. And living for the will of God means that we're willing to love the lost and increase in our love for the lost. 
We're willing to see people and say, you need Jesus, and I love you so much that I'm, nothing's going to keep me from being clear about the cost of our sin, both in our own lives, for the wages of sin is death, and also the fact that Christ came and gave his life for us. And I, I love you enough to tell you, and I'm getting my hands dirty in this right now because I know, like, you know, like it's, sometimes it's getting your hands dirty when you're honest with people, isn't it? Like, you start being honest with people, and you're like, ooh, this is dirty. Like, this is nasty, okay? Uh, but that's, like, that's part of the job, okay? I'm just doing my job. And then when people get saved, I, you just celebrate the socks off of that place. I mean, you should, like, set the tone for that new convert to be like, well, what am I supposed to do now? We're supposed to celebrate. Did you know the angels are celebrating heaven? Do you know God in eternity is saying, I am so pleased right now that somebody has turned from their sins and placed their trust in Jesus Christ. You go do likewise. All right, Stan, let's pray as we dismiss. God, I want to thank you so much for this service, everything that it was, even the, the, the brevity of this message. I pray that it was uh, poignant. I pray that it was, uh, it was concise enough to say, hey, we got to get real, and we got to get excited about seeing lost people saved, and we got to be willing to get our hands dirty. And I love this text that it just shows the simplicity of somebody who loves you, that we would just go out and we would just grow in our love, that in our deepest recesses of our hearts and our minds, we just would love nothing more than to see lost people saved to your glory and for their good. And that we're willing to get our hands dirty, we're willing to say, hey, you know what, whatever the cost is, I'm going to pay it because I know you paid the cost by sending your own son and I am willing to imitate that character of yours to go and do the same and that we would just celebrate. God, we're not asking for irreverent celebration. We're not asking that we just be something that we're not, but I pray that we are just the overflow and the reality of what is going on in heaven. That even as the Lord's prayer says that we want your will here as it is in heaven. Well, we understand that the will in heaven after a sinner repents is celebrating. We'd like to reflect that here on earth, that when one sinner repents, that we would celebrate, that we would shape our community around evangelistic celebrations, and that we would show others how you value salvation. So God, I do pray that, even as we dismiss here, I pray that this sermon and this service does not easily escape our minds. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>